And welcome to the Fanboy Garage. I'm Chris Lasanti, joined by my co-host, Aaron Varola. Yo, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 85 of the Fanboy Garage. Wow, we are just ranking these suckers up. It's awesome. 15 away from 100. We'll have to do something really special for that. But uh, yeah, it's think it's looking like a hundred is gonna. Is it gonna be real? It's gonna be uh, well. I mean, well, it's no. gonna be close. It's it's gonna be close. Mm. It's gonna yeah because you figure I think May twenty fifth right is the anniversary date. So that's um, is it. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. So that's like two. It's more than two months. Uh, it's gonna be right. It's probably gonna be after that, but because right. I think our hundredth episode was right after. I mean, hundredth episode, our fiftieth episode, or whatever it was. Uh, we had some milestone episode anyway. That was mm-hmm. right after the um, the anniversary. Right. So uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be. It's gonna wind up being. It's funny because I don't know when a hundred became like a thing a <laughs> hundred episodes. Yeah. But it seems it like, like it should like be a legit podcasting crew. It seems it should be important. Um, I know like UFC still made a big deal out of their 100th show. Um, would, yeah. yeah, but uh, every, every, you know, every show when it hits their hundredth episode makes it a big deal. Well, it's May yeah. 17th, by the way, is our anniversary. Yes. Yeah. So I, it'll probably happen after that then, because you figure, yeah, there's um, there's not 15 more episodes before May Definitely. 17th. Yeah, but and it'll be close. I mean, we can we can um, we could figure out if maybe we just merge those. Cel- well, let's say we get there first. But <laughs> assuming we get there first, um, we can maybe hold off on any special episodes. Maybe we'll merge episode 100 and the to two-year anniversary into one thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So this is going to be actually kind of a special episode because we, there really is not much going on right now. So we were trying to figure out what to do. It was like, well, do we skip this week? It's like, no, you know what? For those of you who have been like long time listeners or people who are new listeners who've gone back and listened to some of the old episodes, you'll you'll recall that when the show first started, we had more of like a nostalgia spin to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would do like kind of theme episodes where we would talk about like the history of, say, Batman, right, in TV and film or Spider-Man on TV and film. Or we did like an action movie episode and we did an episode on like the Halloween franchise. And, um, you know, before we started to, after a while, like you run out of, nostalgia right like you can only talk about those things once and then pretty much you can't revisit i mean you could revisit batman but you can't go through the history of batman on film you know that that often so eventually we we started to make the show more topical but we've done some specialty episodes like we've done episodes mm-hmm. dedicated to star wars and we recently did episodes dedicated to certain like specific films like rise of skywalker or recently right. we did the one with about birds of prey um you know, but this episode is finally going to be the episode based on one of the things that inspired this podcast. And we've discussed this a number of times that this show was really born out of a couple of things, one of which was a Twitter thread that seemed to go on forever about Dude, it was that was an epic thread. It was pretty epic. About um movie scores, superhero themes, things like that, and music. And of course Tavo, our friend Tavo, famously said, Hey, I can listen to a whole podcast about this. And that was one of the things that eventually led to the formation of this podcast. And of course we have yet to actually do that show. As 84 previous episodes, we have not done the episode on movie scores, superhero themes, themes, anything like that. Um, I mean, we've we've hint, we've kind of like sprinkled little yeah, bits, sure. bits of it, but we haven't dedicated it right. all. Well, episode. guess what, Tavo and everybody else? Episode 85, we are still going to talk some box office and we have a question from JRB that we'll address. But this is finally going to be the episode where we discuss... Music and film scores. We should themes. give it a cool ass name. This is like the founders episode. Okay. There. There you go. Named it. Named it, it. Branded you it. Just did it. It's that was quick. It. Wow. Boom. I, I mean, like I'm in the business there. of yeah, like you know, yeah, look at that. Shit. There you go. 
So uh, so that's after we do box office, after we do, we talk about JRB's question, then we'll, it's going to be music, we're going to do soundtracks, we'll talk scores, themes, and anything related to music on film, uh, we're going to dive deep into all of that stuff. So maybe, kind of an old maybe, school vibe. <clears throat> I was going to say, maybe we start with, uh, with the premise of that Twitter thread, because it was kind of specific. Sure. It was... Uh, I think I remember most it, of I think it. I, it was about it was about um, Batman themed. Yeah, yeah it was about Batman. Yeah, and yeah. Hans Zimmer. Yep, and and yeah, talking about yep, absolutely. Because I still remember vividly, like well, the one thing I remember vividly about it was talking about the, um, you know, the the Batman eighty nine theme. But we'll, we'll we don't want to get too much into that now. But cool. Um, we'll start with box office, uh, as we have been. There's some interesting things that went on. Uh, this week at the box office. So we had a debut, The Invisible Man debuted to really good reviews, which I wasn't quite prepared for because I had pretty much like written off all of these Universal Monster reboots. I saw a trailer for that thing a couple of months back and it uh, it creeped me out and, and actually just saw it uh, recently on TV and she was like, whoa, that looks that looks intense. Yeah. And I just, it kind of just snuck up on me. And then somebody said to me, um, you know, it's getting really good reviews. And I was like, really? And then I looked and it was still early at the time, but it was like over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I still think it's at like 90%. That's pretty good. With most of its reviews in. Um, and clearly it resonated with audiences. It was number one this weekend, uh, 28.2 million uh, domestic. And, uh, so as of now, it's Tuesday, so it's made a little bit more. Uh, it's over $50 million worldwide. Now, and this is a movie that has a budget anywhere between 7 and $9 million. Right. So, uh, <laughs> which is the opposite of, like, what they had been doing, right? With these Universal Monster things. Like with, I mean, With yeah, the mummy, mummy and, reboot. yeah, and, like, the different, dra- like, Dracula Untold <clears throat> or whatever that was and all that stuff. Right, like, right. they went big budget and just failed. Well, this is micro budget. And uh, it's, I mean, look, it's already $50 million worldwide, so it doesn't have to make any more money, and it's already a big success. That's awesome. But it's obviously going to make more uh, as it yeah. goes on. So, I mean, it's funny because, uh, is uh, remind me, the Universal Monsters, that's not like a co-thing with Blumhouse, right? Well, I don't know. So you're talking about like that whole dark universe thing that they were trying yeah, to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, no. Right? I don't believe. No. That was. So it's, it's, it's interesting because Blumhouse has made its sort of. Sta- it's become a staple in horror, right? Because of its low budget. Sure. Kind of approach. And it's like, yeah, that's what people want. Like, you know, you look at movies like Get Out and Us. And now, oh, dude! I mean, and even they had they had a hand in the um, the re- the last Halloween film too, which made a ton of money. Yeah. So, and then now, I mean, there's uh, we can we can talk about this, but the Candyman trailer. I don't know if you saw that. I did, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, Candyman is a very underrated film. Yeah. That entire series actually <clears throat> is is somewhat underrated. Um, I've always been a fan of that, and uh, yeah, this looks good too. Yeah. And it's so, a great film to be able to reboot too, because you could refresh that. Yeah. So I'm. I mean, with with that all said, I mean, I'm glad that Invisible Man is uh, is doing well, and because I think originally when they had announced the Dark Dark Universe, uh, they had something like Johnny Depp cast as the Invisible Man. Like they were going heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Tom Cruise was going to be this whole big shared thing yeah. that was going to lead to like a, a huge. Blowout Avengers type Monster Squad Part Two. Yeah, you know, yeah. But <laughs> I'm, but I'm, I'm glad they went, they went small and uh, creepy thriller type stuff. And and hey, it's showing off. It's it's paying off at the box office. Cool. Yeah, I gotta go check that. And I don't, I mean, I don't believe this is tied to anything. Like, I think the Dark Universe thing is done, right? This yeah, just happens to be. Deal, but it's still a Universal property. Correct? It is, absolutely. Yeah, and Universal distributed the film. Jason Blum had a hand in producing it, but, um, you know, cl- and clearly it worked for them. So maybe this is the route they need to go. You know, just make uh, make these good movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, based on these characters. And. They need to uh, a spectacle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could, again, you can, 
look, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but you could link these things very easily if you ever wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't know that anybody really cares about that when it comes to this type of thing. Right. You know, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, well, what's going to happen? Like, the Invisible Man's going to find the were- the the uh, the werewolf and go, the hey, you want to team up? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really work today, uh, I don't How is think. that even going to work? I mean, it worked. There was a time when it worked. But I don't know that that works now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Sonic the Hedgehog was second. So a, a light drop in the third weekend, right? 38%. It did sixteen point two million. It's um, you know right now it's looking at uh, two hundred sixty six and a half million dollars uh, worldwide. Um, you know the budget was such where, I mean it still still needs to keep going. Right. But you know we'll see where this thing lands uh, at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, another movie that now Call of the Wild while. It was third this week. It did forty six percent drop. It did thirteen point three million. But the thing with Call of the Wild is that it's not really moving the needle overseas. Um, it's only eighty million dollars, eighty point seven million dollars worldwide. This is a movie that cost one hundred thirty five million dollars to make. Yikes! This is a disaster when you actually look at it. Um, right. Yeah, all things considered. So what seemed like an encouraging opening weekend is ultimately going to lead to just it's this is a disaster mm. yeah uh no yeah that's why sometimes you always got to dig deeper when you look at these numbers I see right? i don't even understand like i get the the uh cgi thing about the dog right because yeah there was a lot of controversy a couple of years back. I forgot the name of the movie. It was maybe like The Dog's Purpose or something like that where they used actual animals and one of them got sucked into a uh, into the water, like into a suction thing. And obviously the thing lived, but like that video made its rounds and like PETA was like up in arms about it. Um, so I get that, but um, – I tuned in on this thing, this Vanity Fair YouTube thing where they were asking, they were talking to uh, to Harrison Ford and like that entire movie was CGI. Right. The entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh yeah, we filmed that in like, uh, like Santa Clarita. Right. And then basically just, you know, I was on like a blue screen the entire time. It's like, okay, <laughs> that's why your budget is the way it is. So I hope you, you know. Is, uh, is are people really like flocking to go see Harrison Ford with another furry animal? <laughs> uh, apparently <laughs> not. not. Yes, yeah. not. No. Yeah, you betrayed Chewie, you bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so just and I mean we're just gonna skip around here, but like Bad Boys for Life is still hanging in there. Uh, for another four point three million dollars, um, so it's getting close to two hundred. It's going to do over two hundred million. It's at one ninety seven point seven right now, uh, domestic, and it's over four hundred million now worldwide. Four hundred five point seven million. So right. that's good news for them. And then right behind that, in sixth place, was Birds of Prey or Harley Quinn Birds of Prey, uh, four point one million dollars. So this movie now is um, at $79 million domestic, a hundred and roughly $110 million overseas for $188.9 million worldwide gross. Is this movie a flop? Well, I mean, again, so the budget... I mean, with all, with all of the, the considerations. Yeah. Marketing... Well, I mean, because I mean, look, it's about math, right? So, I mean, this budget says eighty-four point five million. I was yes. told it's ninety-seven point one million if you factor in the reshoots. So, that, so it's one eighty. Well, so one eighty-nine. Uh, now you factoring, you got to factor in marketing costs, right? Right. Especially when you consider the fact that they renamed the movie, so sure. that's going to add additional costs and theater splits, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I look. What I read, I we've said it like every week. I think on the show was that it, the movie need, needed to do two hundred fifty million worldwide just to break even, based yep. on marketing costs, production budget, and theater splits. And right now, 
it's you know falling fast and it's sitting at it it hasn't hit 190 million yet um right. so hey. you know is it does it have another 72 million dollars in it definitely not worldwide to break definitely even not. so no. you know i every 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 franchise has its solo of course yeah and people will try to spin this you know try to figure out try to do some wacky math and try to figure out how it's not like actually a a money loser or a flop or whatever and of course look there's still life after the theaters for movies right. you know there's home you know there's a type of movie that could do well you know in home release you know rentals sales whatever and things like that so it it could it could eventually find an audience and i think it will um how much of that will help put this movie over the top? I mean, I think when you factor all of those things in, it, it certainly could easily break even and maybe even get to a point where it... Well, let's just say I think this film could still break even at the end right. of the day when you factor in, you know, out of theater, you know, right. sales home, home and things video like release, that. Yeah, home that. releases and all that whatnot, merchandising and stuff. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, Solo... Cost a lot more than this did, a lot more <laughs> yes, than did. this did, especially with all the reshoots that they did. So that was like, I mean, that movie had no chance. Um, this is a little different, but we'll see. Let's see how it holds up over the next few weeks and what the final numbers wind up being. Sure. Uh, speaking of the final one, because it's a movie we've sort of been following right from the beginning, it's Jumanji. Um, still in there. Still in there, but you know, it's fading. But it, the key is here, it's now $791 million worldwide. So it made a couple of million bucks domestic this weekend. You know, I mean, th- there's an outside shot if it holds in long enough that it could still get to $800 million, Wow. Which is an, a real nice number. Which wow. is, <clears throat> what, like $100 million shy of the first sequel reboot the, thing in my the last the last movie as i like to the call last it. as in that one yeah um i yeah something like that yeah that's wild that's wild good well, that's cool yeah uh jumanji well actually it's more jumanji uh welcome to the jungle did 962 million yeah all right but so. either way i mean look for a sequel like that I think almost a billion dollars. That's bananas. Yeah. For a sequel like this, which is technically a threequel, but uh, to have that, you know, if it goes from 960 million to 800 million, that's not a bad drop for a sequel. No. You know, not at all. Especially one where the the last movie was, you know, (laughs) caught people by surprise, but how much money it made. Yeah, you know, and the types of legs it did. I I don't think I expected eight hundred, or especially not nine hundred sixty. But I didn't even expect eight hundred from any of these Jumanji films. But yeah, yeah, cool. So yeah, so that's that, and we'll see as we uh, start to inch towards um, the summer movie season. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, can we just get through the month of March? Get to the well, get to Mulan at least, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, there was an uh, I, there was an article. I didn't even get a chance to read it, but they were saying that uh, Mulan is Disney's is one of Disney's risks, uh, li- like the one of its like first risks in a long time. So it's PG thirteen. Yeah, PG thirteen. No music. Right. You know that kind of thing. It's like it's action. It's like an actual yeah, movie. It's a very different. <laughs> Film yeah, for it's very different tone. Disney proper, especially, yeah. Right. Yeah. So we'll see how that does. But if it I works, think. and yeah, I think this I mean, is a, might be onto something. Yeah, like and this is the perfect story to try it with. Yep. Um, you know, so I don't you can't really do this with everything, but if this works, I mean it certainly opens up another like avenue for them. So if it succeeds, what do you think would be the next logical oh, movie geez. for them to make? I don't know. Well, obviously they've already done Aladdin and which and they've already done Lion exactly. King again. So you you assume they're not going that route now, right? No, 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 but I'm saying like not song and dance. No, I know, but I'm saying but they they just since those movies just came sure. out, they're not going to reinterpret no. them again right away. 
Um, I mean, you just think of the the movie. I mean, they've already did Beauty and the Beast as well. It's like Pocahontas, man. So, yeah. Or I mean, I guess you could. I mean, does the I don't think the Little Mermaid works. Oh, they're already working on that. No, I know. I'm saying it wouldn't have worked as like a without no, the music and stuff. Do songs. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there really isn't. I mean, they have to do songs with that one because that's how. Yeah. Because if you look at some of their other things, I mean, Tarzan, they've done. Um, and no one wants to see that. No, they've multiple studios have tried that multiple times. I mean, that's but that's the type of story you certainly could do. Uh, and they're not going to do Hercules, right? No. So yeah, I mean, that's been done. yeah, I mean, think about those movies that came out, you know, around that time. Um, or I mean, you can keep going further back. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's Pocahontas. I, I guess, yeah. If they yeah. want to kind of keep on dabbling in this no-song world. Sure. Anyways. Yeah, so let's uh, dabble into... Uh, dabble in our song well, world. Well, let's do JRB's thing first. Oh, yeah. Um, so he asked us a question about um, our thoughts on a particular scene. Right mm-hmm. from Star Wars, uh, and how we thought it might tie into the Obi Wan series that we may or may not get. Yes. So uh, went dark very fast. Yeah. So you can uh, you take this one start. You can start this one off. Yeah. So so the question essentially was, you know, do we what do we think we'll see in the Obi Wan series? Is there a potential for Yoda to come back? Uh, because of a uh, line that was given at the end of Revenge of the Sith, uh, where essentially Yoda talks about additional training for Obi-Wan and kind of drops the bomb on him that uh, Qui-Gon Jinn has come back and has learned to commune through the Force. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think certainly... There will be some elements of of that training. It would be fun to do. Do I think Yoda will pop up? No, I think Yoda goes to Dagobah, stays on Dagobah. Um, but I do think that there could be a potential for Liam Neeson to, you know, continue to assist in Obi Wan's training as he awaits the sort of growth and development of a young Luke Skywalker. Right. That would be fun to see. I mean, that would show some, you know, continued development in the character. What has he been doing all this time? You know. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of Qui-Gon shorted. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, And I feel like, uh, you know, like they've done, like, I mean, we were Darth Maul shorted too, but then they've sort of rectified that, right? Uh, through yeah. animation, anyway. Yep. Uh, so I mean, they, they you know, on the on the live action. Yeah, like we've been Qui Gon shorted, so there, there's certainly a ways to do uh, reincorporate him. I, I I agree with the Yoda thing. I mean, we let we assume that the Yoda this the training right that Yoda mentions probably happens sometime in the the very brief period of time right. <laughs> before they he does go to Dagobah, um, and everybody disperses. Um, right. I mean, there was reasons for them going to these locations, specifically for Yoda. He went to a place where the light and dark side kind of helped to shroud him, essentially. Right. Uh, so not to say that he wasn't obviously because he he makes reference to this to Luke, but he's been watching Luke right through meditation. So there, there could be, there could be opportunities, but I don't necessarily think we'll see live, you know, a live version of Yoda. There may be some voices or whatever, uh, yeah. as he's communicating, uh, through the force. Uh, I think, you know, obviously he's, he's, he's popped up in other mediums before and TV shows and things like yeah. that. So, and Ben, this uh, is the one thing that like this discussion that, makes you me start to drift a little bit towards your point of view on this, where it's like, this is where when you start doing prequel things and stuff, things start to get a little hairy because it's like you have to either 
follow your continuity perfectly or start to undo certain things if you want right. to expand it, beyond that, you know? So incorporating yeah. Yoda into that would sort of break with, a, you know, a lot of what we've known and seen. Right. Um, you know, that that's why, you know, I, I always prefer to keep looking forward. Um, I do think there are interesting stories to tell, though, with Obi-Wan, because I do think there's enough stuff that we haven't seen that won't break the continuity. Um, but I, I think there is there are limitations to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. All right. So with that, what's, we could finally finally have our discussion on music in film. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm not sure where you want to start with it because I mean I know we've we've mentioned this before. The one time we did really mention it a little bit on the show, I, I threw out my concept as far as like what how I view music in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whereas I think like you have films where the score uh, almost becomes like a character in the film, yeah, or, or the soundtrack becomes a character in the film. Yeah. There are certain themes that become iconic more so than like the score or the rest of the music in a film. And then you have your, um, you know, your movies where like the soundtrack actually becomes better and cooler than the movie itself <laughs> becomes bigger than the movie itself in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's start. Why don't we start, I guess, with the basis for this whole thing, right? Which was what we were talking about in that, that epic thread. Yeah. Twitter so, so just just to give everyone some context, because obviously this was a this was a Twitter battle that <laughs> that involved quite a few people, uh, including our good friend Rick Shu of the Batman on Film of Batman on Film, and uh, you know <laughs> I remember him saying he was I'm, I'm jumping into a meeting and we're gonna pick this up when I get out. Right. Um, so the uh, it was an argument about whether or not. The Hans Zimmer score for the Dark Knight Rises or scores for the Dark Knight trilogy uh, were actually themes. Right. right? Yes, that's exactly what it was. It was a debate over what is a theme. What is a theme, right? Yeah. And I was of the mind initially that, yes, there was was a definitive theme uh, that Hans Zimmer created, but – um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and, and in retrospect, that's not necessarily true, um, because when you, I mean, it's called the Batman theme. When you go back to Danny Elfman's score of Batman eighty nine, I mean, that's that's a theme. You know, like that is yes. the quintessential Batman theme. Um, what Hans Zimmer did was something very different. It, it is something that I think is um it is his style of you yes. know, the way he composes music and he does a really great job at weaving in motifs to represent characters um but he ha- he doesn't he hasn't necessarily crafted a theme right and and I don't really think there are many people in this day and age that have actually done that unless they're doing it for TV yeah and that was my point which was um that a theme to me is an individual piece of music that exists on its own that when you hear it it's immediately identifiable right, right. what what hans zimmer did to me he created a musical theme in the sense that everything he did had a it set the tone and it had a feel right, right. and it was unified but there wasn't a theme like there wasn't like a and again, the Danny Elfman Batman theme that was also like reinterpreted by Shirley Walker for Batman, the animated series. Right, 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 right. Is iconic. Like as soon as you hear that, yes, that's Batman's theme. Just like the the one from the 60s show, you know, like, okay, that's Batman. Right, right, right. Or the, the Superman it's like theme if you can hum John it, Williams. Ex- yes. If you can hum yes. it, right? Yeah. If, like I, I, I challenge anybody, like hum the what you think might be the Batman theme for the Nolan trilogy. I doubt anybody can do it. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily exist. And I also think that, and this is not a guarantee, this doesn't have to happen 
for it to be a theme, but like also your theme would also be the song that plays in some way over the opening credits, the closing credits at specific moments in a film where sure. you're you know trying to portray a moment of strength or whatever for your hero, like like the John Williams Superman theme, right? Yeah. That- Although, yeah, I mean, yes. I think, again, going back, kind of comparing Hans Zimmer's work, he he does do some of those things, like in those triumphant moments for Batman, like you will hear a consistent piece of music or a, a composition that represents the Batman character, but it isn't necessarily a theme, right? Because right. the music isn't exactly the same. It, changes it's yeah elemental his style is also much more and look his style worked for what nolan was doing too oh, which was much yeah. more grounded because because zimmer's style, what he went for in that movie was uh in that series was really more of like he worked more with sounds right and tones right. than he was worrying about melody or anything like that right the, if you think about the constructs of a song right there are songs that are melody based and then there's songs that are more like sound and rhythmic based and he he played more with sounds and rhythms and pulses and things like that that right. that fit the the mood and the tone and the energy of the scenes rather than creating melodic works that you know like i mentioned in the beginning can stand alone as songs like you, you throw on like a hans zimmer you know those hans zimmer batman scores from those dark knight films it's like they would play in the background but it's not like anything's going to grab your attention as like a song and be like, oh, okay, this is, you know, whatever. It's not something right. you're going to make a Christmas ornament out of when you hit the little button and it's going to play, you know? Like, that's not what he was going right, for, and it right, wouldn't have right. fit yeah. those films. It would have sounded, something like that would have sounded ridiculous. Like, in those Nolan films, to have an actual theme, mm-hmm. I think would have been weird. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but they're they're equally effective techniques, though, right? Because, you know, and that's why you have different composers, to do different things and different feels. But, yeah. you know, there are films where, and again, the Batman, the Nolan, Bat, um, the Elfman Batman theme is my favorite superhero theme ever. Okay. Um, especially because then it was reworked by, you know, Shirley Walker for the animated series. So, you know, there, there's my favorite version of Batman ever. So that's yeah. the theme that I, mean, like, that's, I that's associate a, that, with. That, that is a great, that is a great theme. I, yeah. I, I, uh, Listen to it frequently. Uh, Superman one as well, I think, is a great one. I mean, I think it just screams Superman. It's something that kind of, like, cuts across cultures. Um, you may not have ever... So it's, like, funny, because I, I did this to my wife. Like, my wife had never really seen Superman. And But you play the music. Everyone knows that Superman. Everyone. You know, it doesn't, right. it doesn't matter. Um. But it's interesting to me because I think comic book movies these days, superhero films, don't really do a great job of crafting these kinds of themes anymore. And, I mean, let I'm, we can go through a list of characters that have been introduced in the past 10, 12 years, and none of them, I'd, or I'd say like the, the vast majority of them, do not have a theme at all. Iron Man, what's his theme? Right. Captain America. What's his theme? And and the interesting thing is, is if you go to <clears throat> their soundtracks, they have like a track that would be like Captain America, right? And so you're expecting to hear like you know like this is the theme, but if it's not carried through, um, every time he's on the screen or any time he has a moment, then it doesn't really represent the theme for Captain America, right? Like. There's only one theme to me that kind of stands out and it's the Avengers theme. And that to me is like, that's an awesome, that's an awesome, awesome theme. And it's probably the only one that I would say. Yeah. That's a theme that stands out in the Marvel universe. That didn't resonate with me either until the trailer for infinity war. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of funny how that works, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Because and I was then, always and then underwhelmed. If you go back and watch those films; it's everywhere. Yeah, I was always underwhelmed initially by that theme. Hmm. Because I remember watching Avengers and being like, "I just wish there was like a real epic theme for it." And there, you know, it's it's fine, it's good. But then when I saw the trailer for Infinity War and it kicks in, and it's like, "Oh yeah, 
Like, yeah. that just works now. <laughs> and then and then they kind of, like, stab you in the gut at the end of Infinity War when they play it again, and it's just a solitary piano. Yes. That just, whew, yeah. that's crushing. And again, crushing. that's what makes a theme a theme, right? It recurs. It recurs at specific moments Yeah. In in whatever, you know, it is you're doing. And that's really also what makes a theme a theme when a singular piece of music can can be a recurring piece throughout that's associated with a specific character or characters then it's a theme um yeah but yeah i mean we don't get that it look things are different now and i think that just the way comic book films and superhero films are made in general like i think that the idea of the theme um has they've placed less importance on it now mm-hmm. because you have all these other gimmicks and stuff that they focus on right yeah um i mean plus look just different composers coming from different backgrounds right so as as totally you know the people who are composing now like the john williamses of the world like those types of composers who came from like symphony backgrounds mm-hmm. and were comp- like they're different now you have a lot of people that are you know composing scores from tv and film that were in like rock bands or right. industrial bands or or electronic bands or mm-hmm. you know they came from that world they don't come from symphonies and orchestras and stuff. Um, yeah. So you're, you're getting different, you know, the music's going to fit more with the feel and the tone. I mean, there are some still, you know, that do that, but the music also fits the tone of the times, you know? And, yeah. Um, so that's a big part of it as well, I think. It just different yeah. techniques, different, you know, approaches to things. Yeah. I mean, and nothing is, I would say, as... as um as more defined as that from you know what you're talking about as the Tron Legacy score, uh, which was composed by Daft Punk of all <laughs> right of all groups, right? Yeah. Um and man did they kill it. They knocked that shit out of the park. Um and it's very different and but it sets it sets a tone. I think that's the thing too. A lot of our movies now are world building movies, right? Especially when you think about the comic book elements of this, right? And and I know Tron Legacy was meant to also kind of play in that world building thing. And so a lot of what the composers, you know, if you call them that, um, are focused on, on those things, you know, kind of like the bigger – you know, it's funny because I think about Aquaman, right? The Aquaman score. Yeah, uh, which I didn't really necessarily like, um, but it didn't have it. You know, it's another one. I don't necessarily think it had a theme, but when it was doing its world thing, it's when it got really cool. Um, so and I don't know where I was going with this, but it was just I think I was saying that there is more focus on the universe that they're that these characters are living in versus the character themselves. And that's the focus yeah for these composers i that that is too i mean i'm thinking like back to the one of the interesting exceptions would be danny elfman actually you know danny elfman came from yep. he was in oingo boingo you right. know like a new wave band and he became like this epic i mean his stuff has a quirkiness to it obviously oh, it's, that, but it's, it's also evolved but it yes and but he clearly like i mean the Batman theme is very orchestral, you know, and, and orchestral, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, but but yeah, I just think as time evolves, um, you know, the concept of themes and whatnot are, are just going to change. Um, I mean, look at the, uh, you know, the, the man, look at Man of Steel and BVS and all that stuff, too. Like, they were not going for I mean, I the type even... of movie that you're going to have, like, like, themes for right they were going for like a darker approach so i think having like a a theme would have been weird yeah i mean you know that's that's the funny thing too so in i think they inadvertently created a theme for wonder woman because i don't necessarily think that that was meant to be right her thing yeah uh but then when they you know when she had her solo outing um, I forgot the composer's name, Rupert Wyatt, yeah. maybe? Rupert no, something. no, that Rupert Wyatt, the guy who directed um, 
uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Well, I don't even know the. the I think it's Rupert Gregson Williams. Or something yeah, like yeah, yeah. So when he yeah. composed the the score for Wonder Woman, he definitely used that as her theme. And so I think, and I, we'll see how how much it comes to life in in one you know Wonder Woman eighty four. Um. But yeah, I don't necessarily think that they went into it like, oh yeah, this is gonna be the Wonder Woman team. I think they just kind of were like, this is the yeah. moment, like, you know, all hell breaks loose and she's kind of front and center. Yeah, and but it worked because it's a cool piece of music, totally. you know, and it worked. It came at a point in the movie where it, like, you know, it got to stand out. So yeah, I do think you're right. I think it did inadvertently become the theme. But you know, it's interesting with Wonder Woman '84. Um, and we'll see how this happens. I mean, it's been all over the trailers, but we'll see how it plays out in the actual film, especially based on the setting, is that, you know, we're seeing use of popular song, too, yeah. in a lot of these types of movies. Now, popular songs have always been used in films. Some of my favorite movie soundtracks, right, because they're, they're not scores, they're soundtracks, are films like The Graduate and American mm-hmm. Graffiti. Um, Boogie Nights, which feature, which have great soundtracks, but they're full of popular songs. Right. Which also, and and in in the case of American Graffiti and The Graduate and and Boogie Nights, the the music, the soundtrack is actually, in a lot of ways, a a character in the film. Yeah. Um, You know, where it's, it's helping to tell the story and the narrative and set the tone and the feel. So, you know, we've seen it now incorporated into superhero films and comic book films. Yeah, right, which I is mean, something Guardians we didn't have. Yeah, well, Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok and, and even yeah. like with, you know, Aquaman, for better or for worse. Um, you know, we've seen these things pop up, right? <laughs> I just I just got your reference to Aquaman. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, yes. Yes. That part. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, we see it happening now. And, and that's something that didn't happen before. You know, the, yeah, you know, I, I mean, mean, yeah, you had pr- the print stuff for Batman 89, but that didn't play no, as could, big but a he made, he, I mean, a lot of the, that music was made for Batman. It was. It was. A, yeah, it was. A, yeah, yeah. So so when when you say when you talk about the, you know, the soundtracks, the one director that stands out to me that is brilliant at this is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, well, like, he's a music geek, too, on top of being a film geek. So, yeah. yeah. So, if you, you know, like the Kill Bill soundtracks yep. are great even even uh urge to, overkill to, doing neil diamond yeah yeah i think even to an extent like robert rodriguez um desperado to me also stands out because that's just that's a mix yep. of you know local I, I would say like local bands mm-hmm. but then you know obviously he's got like dire straits and a sure. couple of other people kind of turn it up so but those you know I think those movies stand out as like iconic because because of the soundtracks. Yeah, I so, mean, look, there's movies that are where the soundtrack was. I was actually just talking to a couple people about this the other day. Movies where the soundtrack is like better because become better and more well known than the movie. Um, one, the example I had was talking about at the time was the singles soundtrack. The soundtrack to the movie Singles, which was a movie uh, that's actually a pretty good movie about like the nineties grunge scene in Seattle. But mm. that's like very few people ever talk about that movie, but the soundtrack is iconic. It's an, it's one of the best soundtracks ever, especially as a, a snapshot of that time period in music. Yeah. Uh, it's Pearl Jam and, and you know, Chris Cornell and Soundgarden, Chris Cornell solo and Soundgarden and Allison Chains and uh, smashing pumpkins and screaming trees. And even people like Paul Westerberg, um, you know, from the replacements had songs on there and, and um, the um, heart who was doing um, the love mongers at the time where they were doing Led Zeppelin covers and mother love bone, the precursor to Pearl Jam, like all of these bands are on this. Um, and it's such a great soundtrack um, that I, I mean, I still listen to a lot of the songs from that even today. And I don't know the last time I saw that. I mean, I saw that movie in the theaters, but mainly because of the music and, um, and Bridget Fonda, but I don't, know the last time I saw that film um but the music has stayed with me like forever yeah yeah and there there's other films like that you know where the 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 sound uh, uh, backbeat is another one there's a movie called backbeat which was about the Beatles like early club days before they became famous 
And that soundtrack is unbelievable. I mean, they, they put a band together to actually make the music for the movie, right? Because they needed to, mm-hmm. the, the actors playing the Beatles couldn't do that stuff. So they put like an all-star band at the time. You know, people like uh, Greg Dooley from the Afghan Wigs and Dave Perner from Soul Asylum and Mike Mills from R.E.M. and Dave Grohl was the drummer. And it was this really great band. And they're doing like all these old school classic rock and roll era songs. And um, that's a great soundtrack that I still listen to again. But I don't I think I saw that movie once. (laughs) You know, like there's just some soundtracks that become bigger than the film that they were associated with. Um, You know, that's a thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that, that's 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 really cool. Like, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, not the fact that you may have watched a shit movie and you're like, ah, oh, man, at least the music. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, but the these are actually the movies were pretty good. It's just that the the the, the music became more iconic than the soundtrack sure. than the movie itself. Sure. Yeah, sure. It's like the wedding singer. I don't really like that movie. Oh, really? No, nah, yeah, I don't like it. I don't know. I don't know why. But I like the music. Okay. Music's good. Yeah. So so if you were to um if you were to kind of rank, you know, some of your, your favorite composers, who would they be? And <sighs> why? I'm well I mean I obviously John Williams, right? I mean Yeah, I think he's, he's like he's, on he's done a list. few yeah. I mean couple yeah. of hits here and yeah, there. Yeah, Star Wars, Jaws, Superman. I mean, none of those things were those things were all pretty good, right? I mean What about a, an obscure film from him? That uh, not obscure, but maybe like a less iconic film. I mean, with... you would probably be better to throw that out there. Yeah, you, I think I would be. Follow... <laughs> yeah, you tend to follow. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm all over it. So, uh, so th- there's two. Um, for me, I like I like what he did with Minority Report. Oh yeah, you know what? Actually, that's yeah. There you go. That's a movie I don't think of a lot. It's a really good film. Oh man, I love that movie. And it it get that gets lost for me for some reason. Like that's a movie I never look for, but I I know I would love to watch it again. Yeah. It is uh yeah, that's that's just a film that it's like the moment I see it on, I'm like I'm done. Although like, that's I'm not, not that obscure a film though, right? What is that? I mean, that wasn't really obscure. I mean, that was that movie was a hit. Right. Like I'm thinking like what, like you got like a real obscure one? Oh, like? so I mean no, I mean that's like so so I I didn't trying to think of or like, i mean i get me it can yeah another great movie that's a good one yeah uh another good another good score i'm trying to think he he did something I'm trying to i'm like blanking now he did something i was like oh yeah john williams scored that wow that's different uh oh you know, it's funny my wife didn't know that uh that he's that he scored home alone Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's not um How do you not know this? I mean, She's every like... movie has a score and sense for the most part, but that's not one that's known for its score. Well, are you kidding me? It is like some of the music in that. Well, the music's is cool, like, but I mean, when people think like holiday. Yeah. When people think stuff. home alone, though, like now you don't think music. Yeah. Although if, if you were to hear that, that theme, right, theme, piece of music, whatever it is. You'd know it's Home Alone, right? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, yeah. So, th- so that's John Williams. Yeah. For you, I mean, I've talked about this dude <laughs> multiple times, but like Lu- Ludwig Göransson. Yep. Is such a rising star in the space, and uh, and I, I mean, I'm digging a lot of the work that he's doing. I mean, he obviously Creed, the Creed movies he's done. He won an Academy award for black Panther, which again, when we were talking it's about great. themes, like the yep. theme of Wakanda yep. is, is so good. Yeah. Um, and his themes for each individual character are, are great as well. Yeah. That, that black Panther, um, score is special because it really fuses like classic score with modern, like, um, in a, to a modern vibe, right and feel, yeah. um, it's really a, like a hybrid score um, and, and a template that I think a lot of people should look towards. I mean, it, it captures the African sort of uh, spirit, 
you know, with a lot of the percussion, percussive work mm-hmm. that's being done there. It's, it's good stuff, yeah. man. We talked about him in our Star Wars episodes. Yeah. The work he did on The Mandalorian. Yeah, which was... And it's distinct, too. You know, so here's oh. another guy that has a distinct... Even though those movies are, or and, and or shows are not necessarily the same thing, but there is a distinct sound, right, that he brings to the table. Because as soon as you heard that in The Mandalorian, I remember thinking, like, wow, that's a little weird. Right. But then it, it just felt right. It like threw a lot you, of people off. It I did. remember people going, oh, that kind of sounds like uh, Rocky. And there are people who have mashed up the the Rocky uh, sound uh, theme or Rocky score to to the Mandalorian and there certainly are some similarities there but um, there are enough unique elements and and attributes to the to the to the music that he scored for each of those episodes that is unlike anything I've I've really ever heard before right. so um, I, yeah I'm keeping a very close eye on on the work that he's doing because I'm yeah. I'm digging it. Of course, Bill Conti doing the Rocky theme. Right, right. So. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you know, you look at people like, so you just went modern. I'll go old school. All right. Uh, so Bernard Herrmann, right, is... Oh, yeah. An icon- so when I was Psycho. studying film in high school, um, we were introduced to Bernard Herrmann. So, yeah, I mean, not just Psycho. I mean, he was... Really one of Hitchcock's preferred composers, right? I mean, he did Psycho, he did North by Northwest, A Man Who Knew Too Much, Vertigo. But this is a guy who also scored, like, Citizen Kane. You know, I mean, things like um, Taxi Driver, you know, he scored. He did episodes of The Twilight Zone. I mean, a great composer. I mean, the Psycho theme, so Psycho is one of those things. I've always spoken about uh, two horror movies, uh, Psycho and Halloween, the original Halloween. Um, mm-hmm. As being two movies that if you took the score, the music out of them, they, they're not even the same film. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. fact, you know, famously, they, they, John Carpenter always tells the story about how when, they scre- when he screened uh, Halloween for the studio before he put the music in, they were like, this thing is not scary. It's as scary as an after school special. And then, then he showed them the version with his score in it, and it was just like, it's a completely different experience. Psycho's the same way. I mean, that score and the sounds and all of that stuff that Bernard Herrmann achieved in that plays such a huge role in in everything, along with Hitchcock's editing and stuff like that, that are also, that's the masterwork. But, you know, that's a thing too, right? So music becoming such a vital part of a film. I mean, even Jaws to a point, right? That theme. <laughs> Right. I mean that that movie made you know because anytime you have so Halloween and Jaws, uh, so the the Psycho the the music work and the the sound effects stuff it's more in the moment like it's it's there for shock. Whereas if you look at Halloween and Jaws, like the music is there to add a creepiness and an unsettling feeling to scenes that normally are just very benign. Right. right, like right, in, right. in Halloween, like it's just like people are just walking down a street in the middle of the day, which should not Hella be scary creepy. at all. But when that music <laughs> kicks in, then all of a sudden, like your skin starts to crawl, you know, yeah. and it works. Yeah. Jaws the same way, like it's just you don't see the shark for the first hour or whatever it is of that movie, but like you feel it because of that, you know, dun, dun, dun. like that's like it's a character, and it gives you that like when you hear that, it's like oh my god, this something's about to happen. And it makes right. you complete or or not, right? And then it makes you completely unsettled. So that that's another way that like sometimes those iconic themes and scores and, and how music can also affect a movie. Like horror is a really great example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Any other deep cuts? As far as composers? No, I mean the, the, you yeah. know, the, like Michael Giacchino is one of my personal favorites now. See, I don't really, I'm not really vibing with him, man. Well, I mean, the War for the Planet of the Apes score, I just thought was magical. And, I, you know, I, and I, I like I, the I stuff. I couldn't even think, I could, if, if you told me to hum any bit of that, I don't even. Well, it's more about just watching it in the context of the film. Sure. And and I like, you know, what he did with the Star Trek stuff, you know, with J.J. Abrams and all that stuff. It's oh, fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever. He did what he did with it. But yeah, I so I, I like some of that stuff. I mean, I don't. I like what uh, he did with Coco. Yeah. He scored Coco. So, 
Um, I mean, how about now scores, but how about just music in general in film? What are some of your favorite, like, soundtracks, not scores? Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Both of those films. Awesome. Just awesome the way that they do that. You know, that music is such an important part of those movies because of their connection to Peter Quill. Right. Yes. And, it's a, and the, yeah. the, you know, the awesome mixtape. Yep. Kind of thing. There's so, a lot of meaning behind that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because. And we've we've talked at length about the flack that the you know the comedy in those kind of films get, but it's that subtlety, yeah, uh, that I think a lot of people um, overlook and forget about. They do, but it's yeah, such an important absolutely. Part of those films, and it's what makes them so magical. Yeah, because they're missing the point, right? So the point of that whole thing, especially in the first movie, is that. It's not goofy music just for the sake of having goofy music or popular music, right? Or jokes. The whole point of it is like that opening scene in Guardians of the Galaxy sets the tone. So if yep. you choose to forget that or you walked in before, you know, too late, right? And you missed that part, the movie could have a completely different context to you. But that scene sets up everything and you realize that like it's it's a security blanket for him. Yeah. You know, and he's yeah. using it also as a way to deflect. Again, that's something that we do in the real world. Like when we're hurting, we oftentimes use jokes and comedy to deflect from that. Or we right. look for security blankets. We look for things that are we can wrap ourselves in in times of, of you know, sorrow and in times of depression. And when we're hurting, we, we look for comfortable things. So that's what all of that was. And now, yeah, it's an entertaining thing for the audience and it's played for laughs you know, as much as you can, but there is an underlying theme there yep, uh, yep. that's much deeper than that. So yeah, that's where that, that use of song I thought was really great. Um, yeah. yeah. And that was a, a huge selling soundtrack too. Yeah. Matter of fact, somebody on Spotify like mashed up <laughs> all of the albums together, all the songs that pop up in the movie, they kind of mashed up and created a huge yeah. playlist, which is pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, sometimes soundtracks can be important. I mean, like, look, I mentioned that single soundtrack before. I mean, that was a huge deal at the time because of, like, there was a lot of original songs on that soundtrack that were made just for that movie, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that became hits. Um, and, you know, a, a soundtrack from a similar time period a little bit later was, um, like, the Judgment Night soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Again, another movie that's like a whatever. <laughs> it's like an afterthought of a film. But, like, that soundtrack took like rap artists and like heavy metal artists and put them together and they all did collaborations mm -hmm. which wasn't the only reason but it was something that eventually led to and I'll say this again for better or for worse the whole like you know rap rock genre that mm. became would come a few years later right um was born out of a few things i mean you know, the Run DMC, Rarosmith thing, but but it took years for it to happen out of that, and then you had Public Enemy and Anthrax to bring the noise, but that Judgment Night soundtrack was really the thing that took it to, like, the next level, and, and so that was, like, a, a soundtrack that within, at that time period, was really a big deal and iconic, and again, another movie that's really got kind of an afterthought. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, but I mean, I've mentioned, again, American Graffiti and The Graduate, um, a Boogie Nights is you know being some of my oh, favorite yeah, just sure. movie yeah, soundtracks uh, of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know the the Graduate soundtrack works because it's really like a Simon and Garfunkel greatest hits <laughs> record, basically. <laughs> um, you know, so like you could just play that like as an album and not like the Boogie Nights soundtrack is cool, but it it works. It's more fun when you watch it with the movie. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, those songs still stand on their own, but sure, I sure, prefer sure. to watch it, have fun with it, like in the context of the film. Um, American Graffiti, same way, works both ways if you're into that stuff, like old time, old yeah. school. And I mean, you can't. Movie. And if you guys are listening and you're like, "Oh, there's one," obviously Bohemian Rhapsody would be a great one. It's like you can't count those, <laughs> right? So those are different. Yeah, like biopics about like musical artists. I mean. Or even things like concert films, right? Like the song remains sure. the same, or the last, um, the last waltz, like things like that. That, like, they, obviously, you know, that's a given. <laughs> you know, they're they're, you know, they, those are easy. Um, 
But yeah. yeah, I mean, and how about bands or or artists that created original work like Queen doing the Flash Gordon soundtrack? Oh man, love yeah. that. Or ACDC uh, providing the music for another awful afterthought of a film, Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> You know, that was a whole soundtrack of just ACDC music for that movie. Or, or David Bowie in The Labyrinth. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of those types yeah. of instances as well. Yeah. there's. I mean, there's some there's some great, great stuff there. I mean, we talked a little bit about Daft Punk and their contribution there. And, and you know, in many ways, while it serves to, again, create the universe and the world that it lives in, it is still very much a Daft Punk album. Yeah. Uh, which is great to just pop on and listen to. Um, I had another example that just, it just escaped me. Um, anyways, carry on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and for any of our like, you know, eighties metal fans, if they're out there, I know a couple of you are, um, you know, the horror movies in the eighties were, it got to a point where like you expected like a soundtrack to, to come from it. Like there was a sh- the movie Shocker, which was Wes Craven's attempt after Nightmare on Elm Street to create another iconic um, like horror hero or horror villain, whatever. It did not work, obviously. Uh, but that's got a really cheesy, fun, like 80s, like hair band, heavy metal, like soundtrack. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, after a while started to have like themes, iconic themes, dream warriors and, and yeah. uh, the uh, Vinnie Vincent invasion had uh, love kills from the next one, the dream master um, things like that started to happen a lot. Well, like, I mean, there is uh what is it? Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah. Uh, in back to the future. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Absolutely. There's, there's the Goonies, the Goonies song. Goonies, by Cindy, Cindy Lauper. Lauper. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's so many like little little bits, and especially from back then. I mean, I, we didn't even get totally. into like the James Bond themes, which is an event oh, unto itself, right? I mean, that's a whole prestige thing. To, you're going to be the 100%. singer of the new Bond theme. So, like, that's the funny. You know, it's funny you said that because I have been on a kick. Like, I'm not really into her music, but Billie Eilish's "No Time to Die" is amazing. Right for for the upcoming movie, it is such a good piece of music. It's yeah, I would just say listen to it. If you guys have feedback, get at me. I'd love to talk talk to you guys about it. But it is a it it is up there with me as one of the all time one of my all time favorite uh, Bond opening uh, sequence songs. Yeah, I mean everybody could join in on this one. I mean this could be fun. Like this is one of those ones where it's like just you know hit us up with what you think. What are some of your favorite like superhero themes? What are some of your favorite um, movie scores, soundtracks, individual songs from movies? Um, you know, I mean, we all know that everyone here loves the Titanic soundtrack, so I'm sure everyone's going <laughs> to apply with that. Singing in the shower every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. I yeah, think, I think we just did an episode, Han. It sounds like it. And the funny thing is, it seems like we could probably keep going because <laughs> like this topic is like one of those just like that thread that apparently could never end. We could just keep going because, I mean, there's still a lot of stuff that we even touch on. So sure. Yeah. yeah and I know like uh, earlier today on Tuesday, I tweeted about uh, the Lord of the Rings and uh, I'll just share this one little tidbit. It's one little uh, story of my life. So one, one day my wife treated me for my birthday to see uh, a, a live orchestra play with the mu- the movie. It was probably one of the rawest emotional moments I have ever had in my life where I literally sat down. I heard them cue up the music. They play the opening uh, <coughs> the opening uh, scene. And I'm bawling, bawling my eyes out. And I just, I cried through the entire experience. Um, it was, it was amazing to see. It was amazing to hear. Um, obviously Howard score was not the one, uh, conducting the, uh, the orchestra, but, um, you know, it was, it was just such, such a, a momentous experience for me. And, uh, and I still 
am very much connected to that music. I, I just think it's a brilliant. All three films actually have great, unique scores, and um, you know his ability to kind of craft um, music that fit different cultures as you kind of move through the lands of Middle Earth was was epic and, and brilliant. And uh, yeah, it's definitely one of my one of my all time favorite pieces of uh, of music. Awesome, yeah. And I think my all time favorite piece of uh, movie music is um, the final performance in Young Frankenstein. Mel Brooks and Peter Boyle doing "Putting on the Ritz" is <laughs> absolutely iconic. Awesome, um, yeah. And if no one's seen that, um, you should. Everyone should watch Young Frankenstein. We actually convinced somebody uh, in my office couple weeks ago she's like 30 she had never seen young frankenstein has she ever heard of it no okay and we had convinced her to watch it and she said she just was cracking up for like the whole movie that's awesome yeah that's awesome great all right all so right, tavo so let's, let's you got your episode so we can't use uh we can't say ever again we still haven't gotten you that episode and you can't yeah. say that to us ever again either so Get, let's get an epic, another epic thread going on. So for all of yeah. those folks that listened, uh, as Chris mentioned, you know, let us know what your favorites are. If you disagree, agree with anything we've said, please uh, hit us up on uh, on the Twitter. But in the meantime, we'll give you the plugs and tell you how to get sure. Uh, of course, you can go to the fanboygarage.com where you can check out our episodes. You can go to the merch store and buy an I'm Cool I podcast shirt and stuff like that. And, of course, you want to join that conversation on the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, at the Fanboy Garage. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at RealCLMighty. And you can find me on Twitter at AARonSpeaks. That is A underscore A underscore Ron Speaks. And, of course, thank you so much for listening. If you do like what you heard, if you love us, you disagree with us, just leave us a five-star review. Maybe it will go away. I don't know. Um, five-star <laughs> reviews go a very, very long way to support the show. We really, really would appreciate it. Um, and, yeah, just want to say thank you for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week.